If you have a Bible, you can pull it out right now or turn in uh, your app. We're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, while you're doing that, my name's Ketch. I'm one of the greeters that will be out front. So I'm um, relatively new here, but I'd love to meet you guys. If, if we haven't met, please stop by, say hi. We'll talk for a little bit. I'd enjoy that. Um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For he never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, and not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with the children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a, wit, in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, Lord, we are um, just so grateful, like John was saying this morning, for, for your gospel, your grace to us, um, that you sought us out when we didn't know any better. We thank you for your word and uh, for your Holy Spirit. We just pray that, Spirit, that you would um, be with us this morning, teach us um, from, from your word, um, be with Pastor Tim as he speaks, and uh, we thank you for Jesus again, whose life um, and conquering the grave just gives us hope uh, for eternity. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to think about for a moment the most faith-filled, gospel-saturated, influential leader that you can imagine. Who would that be for you? Maybe for some of you, you think of somebody like Billy Graham. You're like, Man, that guy, he was full of faith gospel-saturated, and he influenced thousands, right? Maybe you're thinking of somebody in church history like Martin Luther, and you think, wow, that guy really, he influenced really church and the way people respond to Christianity and to Jesus today, right? Maybe it's more personal for you. Maybe you think of a family member. Maybe you think of a friend. Maybe you think of your pastor. I don't know. Maybe you think of someone who's really influential, a leader in your life who's full of faith, who's gospel-saturated, who is that that you're thinking of right now? I want you to actually think of someone. Actually, you picture that person. What traits do they exhibit? What components of their life make up the ingredients that, that forms this type of leader that's presented as you think about that person in your life? Well, as we think about that, as you picture that, this morning, we're going to look at a great example of what it looks like to be a gospel-driven leader. 
Like, how does that happen? And we're going to see that in the life of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. And, and I want us to look at that, to see this portrait, to see this example. But I want us to learn from that. I want us to dream and think and imagine, what if not just those people like the Billy Grahams, like your pastor, like your family member, like your friend, like Martin Luther, what if it's not just those people, but what if this could happen within you? What if you could be a gospel-driven leader that could influence the people around you dramatically for the glory of God? And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to jump right in. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though he had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So right off the bat, look at verse 1. You see this hour coming to you. Who is the hour? We talked about this last week. The Apostle Paul, who's actually writing this, but he's not alone. He's with Silas and a guy named Timothy, and they're on... Mission together, doing ministry together. In verse 2, he references a suffering that they endured in Philippi. Philippi was the city they were ministering in right before this, right before Thessalonica. And if you go and read Acts chapter 16, you see this suffering play out. And so you see that these guys were drug out into a street, they were beaten, and they were thrown in prison because they were sharing the gospel. And so how do they respond to that? They dust it off, they shake it off, and they go to the next city and do the same thing. They go from Philippi, suffering, beaten, thrown in prison, and they go to the next city, and do they back down? Do they alter the message? Do they get a little quiet? No, they go to the next city and do the same thing. And so Paul is recounting this and recounting when he first came to them and how he continued to boldly proclaim the gospel. And so right out of the gate, if you're taking notes, you see a gospel-driven leader is bold. Is bold. And maybe you're thinking, maybe you're already checking out of this sermon. Maybe you're thinking, is this a pastor's conference? <laughs> I mean, who is this directed towards? Like, I don't know that I am a leader. I'm not a pastor, right? I'm not a leader in church or, or ministry. Like, is this really for me? And, and, and I would say to that is, If you're a Christian, you're called to be a leader. If you're a Christian, you've been charged to make disciples. Ephesians 4.12, that we are to equip the saints for ministry. Listen, if you know Jesus, that's you. If you know Jesus, that's you. You're one of the saints that's being equipped to do the ministry. As we look at the Bible, there's all kinds of people. There's preachers and teachers, but there's people who serve and help out in other ways. There's people who lead in their spheres of influence in the Bible, and we see that in the church today. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to lead and to lead boldly by declaring the gospel as Paul did. And we'll talk about how that looks like, but I imagine a lot of you know how. I can imagine a lot of you, whether you've grown up in the church or whether this is your first time, you maybe have an idea of how you would share Jesus with somebody, how you would talk about God, church, the cultural issues of the day. Maybe you know how to do that in your head. But I think the bigger question for most of us is why? Why don't we? Why don't we declare the gospel boldly? I think for most of us, it's fear. It's a fear of what might happen. It's a fear of maybe we'll look stupid. It's a fear of maybe we'll be rejected. It's a fear of maybe if that person engaged me in a conversation about the gospel and asked me a question, 
would I say? Like, maybe I wouldn't know what to say, so I'll just stay away from those conversations altogether. It's fear. But listen, can those things happen? Absolutely. They happen all the time. And all of them could happen. Like, you could enter, enter into a conversation about the gospel, and you could look stupid. You could not know what to say. And you could be rejected. Right? The hat trick. Like, all those things can happen. But listen, that's why it's called bold leadership. C.S. Lewis, a great quote, says, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. You see, if we believe the gospel, the good news of God, the gospel of God, as Paul says, that God saves sinners. God saves sinners. If we really believe that, then we're going to talk to people about that. We're going to share it no matter what the cost. Like, and maybe you won't just get beaten and drug out into the street and put in prison like Paul did, but there's cost, right? We could look stupid. We could be rejected. They could all happen at the same time. But if we really believe it, if we're living boldly, then we're going to get out there and share it no matter what the cost. And listen, all of us struggle with fear. Some of you are listening to this right now, and you're thinking, well, I, I don't know if I can do this, but this guy down the road, like, he probably does. And all, everybody else here, like, they probably have these conversations, and they probably don't struggle with, with this, but I do. Listen, you need to know that part of the reason why we gather on a Sunday is it's a rallying point for us. Like, we come together and we say, listen, we're all fearful in different ways. We're all fearful to live this Christian life out. We're all fearful to share the gospel, to live on mission with Jesus. We gather and we come together today. You may not realize this, because we're all afraid. We're all fearful of something. I am. I was at the pool the other day. It was on a Monday. And I tend to take Mondays kind of easy because it's kind of like my Saturday. Saturday I'm getting ready for Sunday. And so on this Monday I'm trying to zone out. We go to the pool. We live in a new place. And we just go to the pool. It's going to be a refreshing, nice, fun day at the pool. And sure enough, immediately our next door neighbor comes and gets in the pool. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to talk to this person right now. Like, I'm trying to relax and refresh from Sunday. Like, if I talk to them, then I'm probably going to have to share Jesus with them because I'm a pastor. That's what I do. You know, like, I don't know if I want to get into that conversation. I mean, I just did that yesterday at church. Isn't that enough, Jesus? And I was thinking through all of this, and sure enough, the lady comes out, and she's just like, hey, what's your name? So I ventured into the conversation uh, reluctantly, fearfully, and I just thought, you know, we're new to this neighborhood. Like, I don't want to freak her out. Like, we're going to get to this later because I am a pastor. Like, it's going to happen. Like, we don't have to do it now. And I was fearful. But I began to engage in conversation anyway. And she just asked me my story. And that, that was enough to get us into a conversation about God, church, and all those things. And she asked me my story. And I said, well, we came to Phoenix, and we were part of a church, and it closed down. And she listened, and she said, that's interesting. And I said, yeah, it, it, it is. And we started this new church. It's called Phoenix Bible Church. And she looked at me and thought about it. She said, that's interesting. And I said, yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, God is good, but we started this new church. And she's like, you, you started this church, and it's downtown? Like downtown Phoenix? Like, you know nobody lives downtown. And she was like, that's interesting. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, why am I having this conversation? Like, yes, it's all interesting, 
Um, but as we continue to talk and we share that story, she, she really thought it was interesting. She goes to another church in the valley, and she just thought, wow, you guys are really living this out. You must really love Jesus to be doing all that you just described. Like that church, they must really love Jesus to be down in urban Phoenix, like living that out. And sure enough, her daughter comes out, her family comes out, and we got into conversations about church, about God, about culture, about their experiences with church. Her daughter and her family uh, haven't been in church for a while, and they're talking about what that looks like and how they miss it, and they're not sure what the next step is for them. They have kids that are the same age as our kids. They come over to her house all the time, and they're like, we can swim like once a week together and talk about life in church. That's fantastic, right? But I had this fear at first, and I was reluctant to get into that conversation. But it opened up so many doors. Listen, don't let fear get in the way. Be bold. Listen to God. Rally with others and speak. You'll be surprised what God does. I have a two-month-old baby, and she can't speak right now. Um, and so my favorite thing, and we have three kids, my favorite thing with all of our kids at this stage is when they can't speak, we like to think, what, what would they say if they could, right? In all the different scenarios of life. And so she'll be in her car seat crying. And we'll say, well, Tanavi is probably like, get me out of this car seat. <laughs> or we'll be playing with her and she'll give us like a mean mug face. And we'll just, we'll be like, Tanavi be like, get out of my face. And my kid's favorite one to project on my little two-month-old baby is we're going somewhere and they want dessert. And they'll say, Tanavi be like, I want some ice cream too. <laughs> right? We love to project things onto her because she can't talk. She's two months old. But we think, if she could, what would she say? Listen, as Christians, we don't want that to be the case with us. Like, we don't want the outside world. We don't want our friends, our non-believing friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that join us in the pool. We don't want them to wonder, what would they say? Like, what would these Christians say? What would they say about Jesus? What would they say about our culture? What would they say about these issues? We don't want them to wonder. And listen, we don't want them to make up stuff on our behalf. And this happens all the time because we don't speak up. I run into so many people. And I talked to them about Jesus, and they immediately responded, just like, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with church. And they'll, I'll ask them why, and they'll respond, and they'll say things, and I'll just interrupt them usually. And I'll say, well, hold on a second. I don't believe that either. Oh, I would reject that too. Oh, that's not Jesus. That's not Christianity. Because they've never heard it. Because all they've done is watch the news. All they've done is go off a bad experience. All they've done is watch a televangelist buy a private jet. And that's their gospel. And unless we speak up, listen, unless we speak up as Christians, people will wonder what we might say and they'll make stuff up on our behalf. We need to boldly declare the gospel. That's our mission. That's a gospel-driven leader. And as we do that, it takes multiple forms. And as you're thinking about, what does this look like in my life? The first thing I would say is it's not just social media. I feel like I have to address this because of the day and age we live in. I feel like some of you are going to think about this and you're going to go to lunch and you're going to whip out your phone. 
And you're gonna be like, well, Pastor Tim said we gotta be bold. We gotta share Jesus. And there's a lot of live, real people around you, but you whip out your phone and you start typing a message. You quote a verse from today. And you're just, you're proud of yourself. And you're like, bam, Facebook, take that. I'm bold. Listen, so many times we think in the social media age, like, if we're not saying something on social media, we're not bold. Where are we at, right? If we are saying something on social media, we're like, wow, that guy really loves Jesus. And listen, that may be true. I'm not anti-social media. I am on social media. I think it's great when you guys post about our church, post about Jesus, post about significant issues in your life on social media. It's a great outlet, right? But if that's all you do, if that's the only context in which you think of being bold, we're missing out. Listen, right now I have you face to face. And there's an opportunity there for me to engage you relationally, not just with 140 characters, for me to ask you questions, for us to dialogue, for you to get to know my heart and my intentions and be bold in that. So as you go to the restaurant today, get on your phone, that's fine, tweet it out. But talk to that guy next to you. Ask him, like, hey, man, can I, can I just ask you, like, did you go to church today? What do you think about church? What do you think about all these crazy issues in our world? Where's God and all of that? You just ask simple questions. As you get to know somebody, that you would sit down with them, and you would love them, and you would engage them, and you would get into their culture, and you would do things for them, and you would demonstrate the gospel. But at a certain point, when you're sitting down for coffee, you would say, hey, man, can I just stop? and tell you about the most important thing in my life. That you would take those opportunities to be bold because you don't know what God can do with that. There's lots of different ways this happens. It happens in preaching and teaching. It happens in counseling, mentoring, writing. All of us can participate in this, right? I think one of the most powerful ways is informal conversations that you have with people. There was a girl in Portland when we lived there, and she was a Muslim girl, Muslim family, practicing Muslims. And she had this older lady who was her music teacher. And this older lady spent time with her at her house, and they got to know her. And eventually she asked, hey, can I bring her to church? And the parents weren't too fond of it. But after just music lesson after music lesson and getting to know this older lady and seeing that she was kind and good-hearted, they said, yeah, you can take her to church on a Sunday. And so she would bring her to church. And this little Muslim girl would just soak up the gospel. And she wanted a Bible. And so we came and sat together. And I said, yeah, I'll find a Bible that's really good for your reading style and really good for your age. And so I did. The next week she came back and she was like, I read that three times. What else you got? So I said, okay, all right. Here's another Bible. Here's another Bible that's a little bit more advanced. That's still kind of towards your context. But here's another Bible. Read that. She came back the next Sunday. She read the whole thing. She said, what else you got? So I said, well, I think you've graduated to a real Bible. Let's, let's get you the real deal. Let's get you the heavyweight Bible. Like, so I gave her that Bible. And she began to read that. And over the course of like six weeks, she began to read Scripture. This girl, she was about 11 or 12 years old. And she would begin to ponder the gospel. And she came to church one Sunday and she said, Tim, I think I'm ready to believe in Jesus. I don't, I don't need to read anymore. Like, I'm ready to believe this. I think it's impacted my life in an incredible way. And she, listen, she was smart. Like, she was super bright. She'd heard the things her parents had said. She had read the scriptures for herself. Like, that's more than a lot of adults do. Like, she was really smart. And she began to see Jesus doing this work in her life. And she responded to it. God saved her. 
And then she had a missionary, she was a missionary in her family because of that. Her parents came to church on Christmas Eve, and they didn't like it. But they came, and they heard the gospel. There's a missionary in that family now because that little old lady teaching music brought her to church. Because she began to have that informal conversation about Jesus, about church. We gave her a Bible. It progressed from there. You have heard these stories yourselves. You don't know what God is going to do as we step out and be bold and declare the gospel. So as a gospel-driven leader, we need to be bold, but we also need to be sincere. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And so we see that a gospel-driven leader is sincere. Just look at the verses. Verse 3, he says they don't have impure motives. Verse 4, they're not out to please man but God. Verses 5 and 6, because of that, because they're out to please God, they don't need to flatter people. They don't need to get people to like them. Like they're not doing ministry, going from city to city, proclaiming the gospel so that they can get glory. Verse 6. And he says they could have, they could have made more demands as apostles. Now what does that mean? Well, the word apostle means literally one sent out. So they were messengers of Jesus. And so they could have exerted authority with that, but they didn't. They appealed to the Thessalonians as friends. They were sincere. So as a gospel-driven leader, you need to say something. You need to be bold. But when you say something, be sincere. Some of you are thinking about excuses like, I can't be a leader. I can't step out in boldness. I can't declare the gospel. And you're thinking all the reasons why you can't. You're thinking, if, Tim, if you just knew my life, if you knew the sin, sickness, and strife in my life right now, like you would not be asking me to do this. Like I'm barely making it myself. You might think, I don't know enough. Like, if I were to be in that conversation, I'm not eloquent enough. Listen, start with sincerity. Start with sincerity. Really love Jesus. Really love people. And trust me, you're going to stand out. Because that's not normal. You see, so much in our culture is too good to be true. You think about this, like debt-free ads online. Like somehow you pay a company and you go into debt to get out of debt. I'm not sure how that works, right? But you see that and you're like, man, it would be great to be out of debt, but it's too good to be true, right? You get those emails and you see those th things online of like, um, hey, come hear this 45-minute presentation, and you'll get a free, all-inclusive trip to Maui. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's that easy. Like some things are too good to be true. You get these emails, people that want to give you money, and people that want you to give them money, and you're confused by that. And you're like, this seems too good to be true. Just the other day, we got an email to our church. It was from an Australian church, and they wanted to bring me in as their keynote speaker for a conference. And they said, we'll pay your flight, we'll pay your meals, you bring your family. It's going to be a great time. We'll put you up in a nice hotel. And I got the email, and my first thought was, wow, PBC is blowing up. Like, we're only 10 months into this thing, but wow, I didn't know news spread to Australia, worldwide. 
And of course, I look into it a little bit more and I see this is a scam. That people are using churches' platforms, like the church was legitimate, but they're using that to send emails specifically across countries and say, hey, come speak at this conference, we'll pay your way. And as you get into that conversation, a few emails in, they'll say, well, we need all your information because we're going to help you get a passport. And they steal your identity. Um, So much is too good to be true, right? Like all those things. You've experienced those things. You've seen these things. So much is too good to be true. But listen, not Jesus. And not people who genuinely follow Jesus. Like if one thing people could say about us, if one thing people could say about you as a leader who has a sphere of influence, what if they just said, that guy really loves Jesus? What if they just said that? What if they just said, I don't think it's about money. I don't think it's about greed. I don't think it's about their self, glory, or fame. I think they just really love Jesus. And you've met people like that. And they amaze you. Like, I've met people in our church, some of you I'm looking out at right now, and I leave conversations with you, and I recount things you said, and just in my life, I can be kind of skeptical, and I'll try to play that out of, like, what angle do they have? You know, like, what do they really want from me? And then I'll realize, I think they just really love Jesus. Like, this is amazing. You see, you may not have the eloquent words, you may not have the education, You may not feel like your whole life is together, but just be sincere. Start with that. I was reading an article about Billy Graham the other day, and it talked about how he wasn't the most dynamic speaker. He wasn't the most creative. He wasn't the most deep. But somehow this guy filled up stadiums of people. And the guy who was writing the article was trying to figure out, why do all these people go to these Billy Graham crusades, and they don't go to the church down the street? Why does that happen? And as he interviewed people, the most common response was this. People said he was the most sincere preacher they had ever heard. That they hadn't heard that kind of gospel before. Be sincere. Be bold. Say something. But when you say it, mean it. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So you see the next point, if you're taking notes, is A gospel-driven leader should be bold, sincere, and then marked by love. You see in verse 7, gentle. You see words in verse 8 that make you feel uncomfortable, affectionately desirous of you. Like some of us don't know that kind of language unless we're talking in terms of sexuality. And Paul is speaking to these people as friends, as dearly beloved, and he's saying, I'm affectionately desirous of you, so much so that I'm not just going to roll in and preach the gospel and get in my green room and never talk to anybody. I'm not just going to come in and shake hands and kiss babies. Like, I'm going to spend time with people, and I did that with you. I shared not only the gospel, but my own self, because you're very dear to me. And in verse 9, that affection promoted sacrifice. He said, we worked night and day. They got a second job so they wouldn't have to put strain on this young church financially. 
their affection promoted sacrifice in their life. You see this love and relationship. Paul says, you know, or as you know, four times throughout this passage. He says, you know, you know this, as you know. Why does he say that? Because the people that would have read this, they already knew all this. They, they experienced it firsthand. They knew how Paul led. They knew how Paul interacted with him. They knew he, he didn't just share the gospel. He shared himself. Early on when I would preach here at, at Phoenix Bible Church, our first few weeks, um, two weeks back to back, I shared stories of my home life. And I shared the first week, I think it was about my marriage and how I got into an argument with my wife. And I didn't just leave it there. I went on to talk about forgiveness and repentance, right? And then the next week, I shared again, and I didn't really put these things together. I shared again about, like, selfishness at home and how I should be spending time with the kids, taking out the trash, but I just want to watch Sports Center. I don't know, something just crazy like that. And after a couple weeks back-to-back, sharing about my home life, sharing about my personal life, a little bit of weakness in my life, somebody in our church came to me and they said, Tim, you may want to tone that down a little bit. Like, I think people, I mean, nobody said anything yet, but I think people might start to think you need counseling. Like, I think people are starting to be genuinely concerned about your home life. And I listened to that. <laughs> and I told them, I said, man, you know, that, that's true. That could happen. But listen, as your pastor, like, it's my conviction that the two most loving things I can do for you is share the gospel with you and share my life with you. And that's what we see Paul say in verse 8. He says, I didn't just share the gospel, I shared my life. And we can think about that, and I do. And when he said that, I, I thought about it, but that's just kind of my personality and how I speak. And so I thought about it, I was like, maybe it is too risky. Maybe it is too vulnerable to put ourselves out there publicly, privately, like that. Like maybe people will kind of take advantage of that. Start to say, well, we know what Tim struggles with. Like, maybe that will happen. Like, maybe we shouldn't. But listen, the love of a leader is risky. The love of a leader is vulnerable. Like, that's what makes it different. Because as you love other people in your spheres of influence, and you share your lives with people, nobody else does that. Like, you'll become a leader right off the bat if you just share your life with somebody. You'll be like a nursing mother. Everybody's dream, right? Verse 7, it's like a nursing mother. Why does he use that language? Why does he use like a nursing mother? It's the most tender image of someone who's helpless and someone who's coming to do nothing but give. Moms, you know this, right? The baby receives nourishment but can't give anything in return. It's not like the baby can give a tip, Right? They can't do anything in return. They just receive. And that's why Paul uses this language. As a loving leader, they give. They give. They nourish. They enrich other people. And they may not get anything in return. But they get a joy from seeing that little baby grow. If you're a nursing mom, where do you get your joy? It's not because the baby turns around and gives you a high five. <laughs> that would be awesome if that happened. But it's not that. It's that you see that baby grow. We're seeing it right now with our two-month-old. You see her right there. She's beginning to grow and develop, and we see that, and we're like, man, that's so amazing. We get joy from that as we love her as leaders in her life. As you love other people in your life, how do you get joy? You see them grow. 
It doesn't mean you get something in return. You see them grow and develop, and you're like, wow, you really are getting something out of this passage we're going through. Wow, you really got something out of that note I sent you. Wow, you really got something out of that meal I brought you. And that makes us feel joyful as we love people like that. I remember I was uh, in Germany for a summer interning with a missionary, and I was really eager and excited to go to Germany and spend time with this missionary because I thought, man, I'm going to really learn how to preach and share the gospel, especially in a different context. And so I did that, and I went over there with these high expectations. In the first few weeks, all we did was go out to eat with people and talk to people. We would go to people's houses. We would sit down and have meals with them. We would talk, and I don't know if you've been to Germany, and maybe it's not like this anywhere else, but in the context I was in, we did that all day, right? It wasn't just an hour lunch. It would go on forever, and I'm fairly introverted, and I would go to Michael, the missionary, and I would say, Michael, when am I going to get to start doing ministry? Like, when does that get to happen? And he's like, Tim, go back, go eat with that family. Go spend time with those people. Go have more dinners with people. And I would say, Michael, I don't think I can do that. Like, I'm getting kind of fat. Like, this is, you can only eat so many brats, right? Like, I don't know if I can do that anymore. And we would go together and we would hang out with people. And he said, go back. Let's hang out with people. We're going to do this event. We're going to get together all these people. And we would hang out. And Michael, the missionary, would be there as well. And we'd be talking and laughing and people would be sharing stories. And every once in a while, he would just kind of lean back and look at me and he would say, people. And he would say, people. And then a little bit later, we'd be talking and sharing stories. And Michael would kind of give me the eye. And he would just say, people, people. And I began to catch on that ministry wasn't about me having a stage or platform or getting to preach sermons, that it was about loving people. That if you don't have that, the other people around you won't grow and you won't become the leader that God has called you to be. You see, what's beautiful about this passage is Paul brings together two things, boldness and loving. Like if you're bold, if you proclaim the truth to everyone you know and you don't love, people won't grow. And you know this in your family and your friends and your neighbors. People in your life that you're just frustrated with. Maybe it's a family member who just doesn't get it. And you just, sometimes it gets into shouting matches. Sometimes you just try to shove the gospel down their throat. Just like, why won't you believe this? Why won't you stop sinning? Why won't you believe Jesus? And you know, eventually that they get beaten up by that. And they don't respond. Listen, you need to be bold. We need to say something, but we need to be loving. It's grace and truth. It's mercy and message. There's power in leadership like that. You get a great picture of this in Jesus in Luke 19. Luke 19, you see in verses 42 through 44, Jesus speaks a harsh truth about the people of Jerusalem. He talks about it. It gets pretty graphic. He talks about how they're eventually going to lead to destruction, how their whole city is going to be torn down to the ground with their children. This is Jesus who says this, right, really bold. And some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, you're taking notes on that verse. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go post that verse on Facebook right after this. I'm going to go tell my neighbor off right after this. Like, yeah, they're going to be torn down to the ground. And you get really excited about that. But we can't miss verse 41, Luke 19. Right before those couple verses, it says Jesus wept over that city. That you don't need to yell at people until you've wept for them. You don't need to go proclaim boldly until you care about them, until you love 
people genuinely because Jesus loves them. Until you're brokenhearted over souls that need Jesus, that they're not just target practice. You don't just learn things and go blast them out and get those bullets and you just start shooting them off. No, you take time and you love them as you are bold in declaring the gospel to them. The last thing we're going to see is that a gospel-driven leader is instructive. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see that these guys were instructive, that they modeled and they messaged. Verse 10, you see that they modeled with their lives. They were holy. And he's saying, you know this. You saw our actions. You saw us live this out in front of you. We were holy and blameless. They modeled this instruction. And in verse 11 and 12, they messaged it. With their words, they encouraged, they exhorted, they charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God, like a father with his children. That's this picture of a father teaching his kids to walk. If you have kids, you know this, like all your kids get to a certain point where they're crawling and it just needs to stop, right? It just needs to stop because the ground is dirty. Like I'm just looking at this floor. I don't want my little baby crawling on this floor. Like their hands start to get dirty, and they become about a year old, and you're just like, man, for your development, for your own sake, you need to start walking, right? As we look at our babies, as they develop and they begin to need to walk and they just want to crawl, what do we do? Do we just stand them up and yell at them? Like, walk! Come on! As they're crawling, do we just go yell at them like, knock it off! Like, stop, stop doing that, right? When are you going to get this figured out? No. Right, what do we do? We stand them up. We hold both of their hands, and their legs are all wobbly, and we show them how to walk, you know, take that first step, right? And we're like, so excited. You took the first step, and we're holding their hands, and we're cheering for them, and they're just like wobbly jello, right? And then what do we do? Eventually, we work with them patiently, lovingly, instructively. We show them how to do it, and then we put them out there on their own, and we get a little bit further away, and we bend down, and we say, come on, you can do it. And we get kind of frustrated. No, come on, do it. And we're like, no, come on, you can do it. Come on, get over here, get over here. And then they begin to walk, and we take videos, and we go ballistic, right? Like a father with his children, we instruct people like that. We model it. We show them how to walk. We take time, we sit down with them, and we message it to them. We encourage them, we exhort them, and we charge them. This is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's gospel instruction. You see people where they don't need to be. You see people in sin and going towards destruction, and you want to grab them, and you want to yell at them, and you want to say, hey, don't go there. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. And you look at them and you say, I don't want you to go there. But we don't just yell at them. We don't just proclaim these things with them without relationship. No, we take time with them. We model with them. We message to them. We do it patiently, lovingly, like a father does with his kids. As we look at a, a gospel-driven leader, I think of the famous people too. I think of Billy Graham. I think of Martin Luther. I think of people in our day and time that I follow as pastors, people that I look up to. 
I think of those people. When I picture a gospel-driven leader, that's who I picture. And I don't know who you pictured earlier, but it is some of those people, right? It is some of those people who have influenced people greatly for the gospel, who have exhibited these traits as Paul exhibited these traits. But it's also the people you've never heard of. It's the people like my friend Jason Sudan, who when we lived in Dallas, we would get together. It was our first uh, friends as a couple. We were a married couple the first time. They were a married couple for the first time. And we began to hang out with this couple. And as we would hang out, me and this guy Jason, every once in a while he would just say, hey, do you want to go to the park and just talk to people about Jesus? And I would say, no. No, I don't. Um, but he would say, are you sure, man, we have this opportunity. There's just people go to the park. It's a, a great meeting place. We can just go to the park and start talking about Jesus. Eventually, he challenged me. Eventually, he exhorted me, encouraged me to go do that. And I did. And we would go to random people in the park and get into conversations about the gospel. And it was crazy how responsive people were. And I needed that guy to lead me into that process because I didn't want to do it. I think of people in our church who lead like this. I think of a guy in our church who is sincere and loving. Multiple times since I've been here, he's just written me a card. And it doesn't have a lot to it, but he just writes me a card and says, hey, we're praying for you and your family. We're thinking about you guys. Is there anything you need? He's sincere. He's loving. And I think if you talk to him, he would say, I'm not the most eloquent guy. Like, I don't have this all figured out. My life is not in perfect order. But I want to be sincere. I want to love people. He's a, a gospel-driven leader. I think of a lady in our church who meets with younger women and takes them through Scripture and teaches them how to navigate the different circumstances of life that they haven't experienced yet. And some of these women go to our church that she meets with, and some of them don't. And she just meets with them and shares her life with them. You see, it's easy to look out at these well-known people like Billy Graham, like, wow, like these pastors, these speakers, these influential leaders that are doing great things that we hear about all the time. But what if this morning, what if we just didn't look out? What if we looked in? What if we didn't just look out? What if we looked in and said, hey, I have the same Holy Spirit. I've experienced the gospel. These are character traits. These aren't gifts, right? These aren't gifts like bold, sincere, loving, instructive. Those aren't gifts that some people have and some people don't. Those are character traits of the Christian. If you know Jesus, those should be character traits of you. What if we begin to look in our own lives and think, how can we influence other people like that? You see, I think that's what Paul had in mind as he wrote this. Like Paul said multiple times, you already know this. Like, as you know. So why did he explain it? He's laying out a model. He's saying, this is how we have led you. You're a young church. You're new believers. If you're going to grow, if the gospel is going to expand, it's not going to be just through me. It needs to multiply in your life. You need to lead other people how we have led you. He's laying before them a model. And so maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you say, I want that. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're entirely overwhelmed. Maybe you're thinking about your life. You are thinking about your sin, your sickness, your strife. You are thinking about, I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. Maybe you're going to go home and somebody's going to ask you, what was this message about at church today? And you're just going to say, well, i got to be awesome. i got to be perfect. And I'm not. So there it is. You know, like maybe some of you are responding like that even now. And listen, you need to know there's another way to get there. As we pursue leadership, 
We pursue Jesus. Like it's not about looking at how awesome we are. It's not about white-knuckling these traits and trying to achieve them on our own. How do we pursue this kind of leadership? How do you, in the midst of your sin, sickness, and strife, how do you, in the, in the midst of things you don't know, how do you pursue this kind of leadership? You pursue Jesus. As you are boldly chasing after him, he makes you bold. As you are sincerely spending time with him through scripture, through prayer, he makes you sincere. As you sit under his loving instruction, he begins to teach you how to do that with other people. You pursue Jesus. You want to grow in leadership? You spend time with the greatest leader who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Acts 4.13. Uh, one of my favorite verses, actually my first Sunday here, I shared this with you guys as my vision for us as a church. And I still think about it all the time. It says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And by that simple fact, the people around them, the crowd, was astonished. What if that was us? What if that was you? What if you were a leader that was marked by the gospel that was driven by the gospel, that really loved Jesus, that really loved people, and you try to learn, and you try to walk in holiness, and you do all those things, but at the end of the day, you're known because you have been with Jesus. People look at your life, and they say, that's a guy who's defined by Jesus. What kind of influence would that have in your family? Like, how would people in your family look at you different if they could just say that? Like, that guy's been with Jesus. Like, that girl has been with Jesus. How would that impact your family that may need to know Jesus? How would that impact your community? How would that impact our city as a church? If people begin to say about Phoenix Bible Church, and that church really loves Jesus. That's why our mission statement is so simple. Like, love Jesus, live like Jesus, lead other people to Jesus. We think it's all about Jesus, and we think that's the mission of God. That's not just the mission for our church. That's the mission of God for all churches, all people, everywhere. We want you to stay focused on the central idea of you love Jesus. You live like him. And then you begin to lead others to him. That's where this boldness comes from. That's where this sincerity comes from. That's where this love comes from. That's where this instruction comes from. What if we began to take steps to be leaders like that? How would that drastically change our sphere of influence, our community, our city? for the glory of Christ, for our good. Let's pray towards that end. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. God, I confess, this is a challenging message. It was challenging for me as I read it, of just how do we invest into other people? Um, what does that look like to be bold? What does that look like to be sincere and loving and, and come with instruction towards other people? And God, I pray as we receive this, God, that we wouldn't, shy away from this. We wouldn't think, well, I'm busy. I have a job. This is for professional ministers that we would see what could this look like in our own life? Like, what could it look like not to just settle for passivity, for just yelling at people, but actually taking time to be sincere, actually taking time to step out and be bold, that we wouldn't be okay with just growing our kids up, getting them nice things, getting a job, getting a 401k, buying a house, and inhaling for ourselves, that we would begin to exhale and we would begin
begin to invest in other people, that people would say about us, Man, those are gospel-driven leaders. Well, they work at the church? No, they're just people who love Jesus. That people could say that about us, that that would be our testimony as Phoenix Bible Church. That would be the testimony of the men and women in this room. And that you would enable us to live that out. God, I pray now as we respond that we would confess where that's not happening. That you would be gracious with us and teach us and mold us. And like a father to a child, you would teach us how to begin to walk like a leader and influence people as a leader. Father, help us. We desperately need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.